The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. I began this two-part study by looking at, last week, the inward evidences of our identity. Uh, And I I reminded all of us that according to Scripture, there is no righteousness in any of us. Uh, Romans 7.18 tells us, For for I know that in me, Paul said, that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. So there's no righteousness in, in you and I apart from the righteousness that is given to us uh, by, by Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, and also reminded us that it's by God's grace that we are able to do anything profitable for the kingdom, anything uh, useful for God. It is simply by his grace that we can. And, and Paul reminded us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10 where he states, but by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which which was with me. So we know that we know that there is no good that can be done by by you and I in our own flesh in our own nature, we can't do anything uh, good, but in Christ Jesus our Lord, uh, through his grace, we are able to do those things that God has ordained that we should do. Uh, we, we looked at uh, three witnesses last week uh, from the inward uh, evidences of our, of our salvation. First was the witness of the new creature. And if you recall, Paul told us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new, and all things are of God. So the things that we become after our, our, after our regeneration are not by our own efforts, not by our own merits, but they are all things are of God. We are a new creation. And, and so, therefore, uh, it's not okay for us to live as we did before. That's not us anymore. We, we've been changed. Uh, we've been recreated, if you will, by the nature of Christ. Uh, so we saw the witness of the new creature. And secondly, we saw the witness of the Holy Spirit. Uh, In Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17, Paul tells us the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. So we see that we have the witness of the Holy Spirit. I know in, in, in my soul, I know in my heart, in my spirit, because this Holy Spirit speaks to my spirit and bears witness of the fact that God has redeemed me. Now, before I was saved, I had no such witness. Uh, The Holy Spirit did not give me any assurance. He did not give me any confidence uh, that I was born again. So we have the witness of the Holy Spirit. And then thirdly, inwardly, we saw the witness of the Word of God. And and we read from 1 John uh, chapter 5, verses 12 and 13, Uh, We read there, he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. 
And then John tells us, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. As I study God's Word, as I read God's Word, the Word of God bears witness to me. The Word of God clearly demonstrates to me and shows me that I am God's child. So we have these inward uh, evidences, these inward witnesses that, that give us the the strength we need and the courage we need to live for God on a daily basis. So tonight I would like to just take some time and I would like to consider us to consider number two, the outward evidences. Last week we looked at the inward evidences uh, in our life and now I'd like for us to look this week at the outward evidences. Now this definitely is not an exhaustive list, but time would not allow me to... Unless I had several weeks to, 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 to continue this series, time doesn't allow me to look at all of the outward evidences of the Christian life. So I tried the best I could to pick two that would, that would kind of surmise uh, what I'm trying to discuss. The inward evidences uh, are proofs that only you can see. The things we discussed last week, the inward evidences, I can't look inside of you. I can't see inside of you. So these evidences don't profit uh, those around us to any degree. Uh, however, we must remember that these outward evidences are, are proofs that all men can see. Men can see your, your testimony, your outward testimony, your outward evidences. They can, they can see these. And, and unfortunately, men will make inferences. They will make judgments based upon what they can see. So in, in, in truth, we have a responsibility as God's children, to put forth the best testimony that we can for him. I mean, I, I have a son, and uh, God help me, but I have a son, and uh, I'd like my son to, to I, I've talked to him often. I said, you know, uh, uh, my father always told me, son, you know, I want you to live your life in, in, in a respectful way, uh, to, to not shame me, not to embarrass me, and those kind of things. And I'm sure all of you parents here, all of you fathers here, you hope the same for your children, that they will, that when they leave your home and go on their own and conduct their lives, that it will, it will show respect to you. It will, it will honor your family name. No? Does any, any of you men feel that way? Yeah. You know, my daddy always told me, he said, son, I'm not a wealthy man. I can't leave you uh, lots of land and possessions, but the one thing I can give you is what my father gave me. That's a good name. What you do with my name once you leave my home is out of my hands. But respect your family. And that's what I strive to do. And I, I feel the same way toward my heavenly father. I want to show honor and respect unto God. So I try to conduct my life on the outside, I try to live in such a manner as to bring glory and honor to the name of God. And that wasn't in here, so I've got to find out where I should be. Uh, so the, we have these outward evidences, that are, which are proofs that all men can see. However, we must remember that these outward evidences are, are still not the product of our righteousness. Rather, they are the product of the righteousness of Christ. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 9, Paul states, And be found in him, him being Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, 
But that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Just as it is concerning the inward man, so it is concerning the outward evidences of our salvation. We must be so careful here not to mistake the doing of works as justification or as evidence of justification. So many men, so many men, as I mentioned, I think it was Sunday, men love rules. Why? Because they, or they love to follow rules. Uh, our fundament, a lot of our fundamental Baptist brethren love to follow those rules they have because they, they have no control over the inside. So they feel like if they can control the outside and, and, and make, put on a facade that others will see, then they, they, they think that they fooled people and that they, they appear to be righteous. But the works that we do, the rules we follow, the, all the standards and all these other things, they are not. Uh, they, they, they do not bring salvation. They, are, they do not bring justification. I'd like to turn now to James chapter two. James chapter two, and we're going to read uh, a few verses. James chapter two. Let's begin at verse number fourteen. These are these are familiar verses to everyone, so it's not it's nothing new here. But I just want to uh, lay the foundation for why our outward works are so important Uh, begin with verse 14 what doth it profit my brethren though a man say he hath faith and have not works can faith save him well we we all know that faith does save but not the kind of faith that that james is talking about here james is is describing a vain faith an empty faith Uh, verse 15 if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what does it profit? In other words, if you're not going to help them, uh, you're not profiting them any in, in the time of need. Verse 17, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works. And I will show thee my faith by my works. This is real important. We'll come back to this. Uh, 19. Thou believest that there is one God. Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. The devil, listen, Satan knows there's a God. Uh, he's, not, he's not deceived into thinking there is no God. He, he, Satan actually appears before God and stood before him, something you and I have never done. Verse 20. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Uh, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works with, was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Now, in verse 14, uh, James states, What does it profit though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Uh, men, very, many men claim to have faith. Uh, Roman Catholics claim to have faith. Mormons claim to have faith. Jehovah's false witnesses claim to have faith. 
However, these lack regeneration and repentance. Now remember, regeneration and repentance precedes faith. Therefore, a faith without regeneration is not a faith at all. It's, it's empty, it's, it's void, it's vain. In verse 17, uh, we read, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. The evidence of salvation is in faith. It is the compelling works which are produced because of faith. Faith without accompanying works is dead. It's phony faith. So in other words, I don't do, I don't do works. I don't, I don't labor for the Lord. I don't, I don't serve the Lord in order to, uh, to, to gain faith. I serve the Lord. I labor for Christ because of my faith. My faith and my trust in the Lord, my salvation, my repentance and my regeneration compel me to, to labor for the Lord. So faith with no works is, is vain faith. Verse 19, considered uh, what we said, that thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. Well, consider that Satan and all his minions believe in God, perhaps even more than we do. However, the faith of Catholics, the faith of Mormons, the faith of, of JWs are no more profitable than, than the knowledge that these demons have of God. It, it, it gives them no more profit uh, to, to, to speak of their empty, vain faith. Now, works, outward works, are evidence of faith. But not always, of course. We do know that there are many people that, that, that have, have works but their works are not wrought from faith. Uh, they seek their own glory in their works. I remember many years ago, I mean probably probably 15 years ago or something, we had a man who came into this church and, and uh, he even joined the church. He, he convinced everyone he was, he was a believer. But he, he wanted to be a deacon. And when he found out that because of his marital situation, he could not be a deacon, he left. He no longer had any desire, any interest to serve the Lord. And that's because he was seeking his own glory in the things that he was doing. These men seek to elevate themselves before other men. These men desire the accolades of men. We've all seen them. Especially any of you men that have gone to very many conferences these men will stand up behind the pulpit and the crowd will stand at their feet and and around a round of of applause will go for for 10 minutes 15 minutes and all the while they're standing there just trying to appear to be so humble yet they just they just absorb all of this all of these accolades and in, in pride and, and and just to just to puff themselves up when in scripture when when men came to, to Paul and Barnabas and, and, and knelt at their feet and, and, and wanted, to, wanted to worship them, Paul and Barnabas stopped them. They said, men and, men and brethren, do not so. Made them get up and told them, we are men just as you. If you're going to glorify anyone, if you're going to give glory to anyone, give it to God. But these men seek to, to glorify themselves. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 2, Jesus reminds us, Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. 
In Matthew 6, 5, we read, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 16, we read, Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces. You know, that actually, what that literally means is they would put makeup on their face to make themselves appear to be suffering. They'd probably have a big hearty meal and then leave their home and go to church, go to the synagogue and, and, and appear to be fasting so men would, would sympathize with them. So they, it says here, so they may appear unto men to fast. He wouldn't say so that they appear unto men to fast if they were actually fasting. See, they weren't fasting. They're hypocrites. And they're trying to make themselves, uh, trying to gain uh, advantage and, and, and want people to to lift them up and vaunt them. Jesus said they have their reward. These men, they want the chief seats. In Matthew 23, 5 and 7, we read, But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments and love the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the market and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. So you see, we must qualify these outward evidences and understand that were it not for God and his grace, none of us would be saved. If it were not for God and his grace, none of us could do anything of profit for the work of the kingdom of God. In 1 Corinthians 15.10, we read from Paul, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. So were it not for the new creature that we spoke of last Wednesday evening, the new creation, our outward works and expressions of faith would be of no profit to either me or you. Now, I'd like to take just a few moments and expound upon two of these outward evidences that that I want to discuss tonight. And as I said earlier, these are not exhaustive, of course. There there are far too many evidences I could discuss tonight uh, to to, to be able to fit it all into the time that we have. So number one tonight, I want to look at the witness of our walk. The witness of our walk. And of course, in Scripture, the term walk is referring to our manner of life, to how we conduct ourselves. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, we read, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now I want you to look at verse number 1 there and notice the word vocation. That's used in this verse. In the context of scripture, this word would be synonymous with the word summons. Everybody knows what it means to be summoned, right? I have a summons in my desk, not to appear in court, but to be on on a jury. I have a jury summons. I despise jury summonses, but I have one. I, I use my first delay option to move it to June. 
and I'm sure in June I'll use my second delay option to move it to December. But anyway, um, this word this word vocation here actually should be translated in our common vernacular today as the word summons. In other words, by virtue of our redemption, by virtue of our redemption, we have been summoned by God and fitted for service. We could not carry out this calling were it not for the truth that God has outfitted us to serve him. In other words, our labors in our own flesh and in our own strength and under our own power are worthless. God isn't interested in all of those. You have what you consider to be a talent, and God's not interested in what you consider to be a talent. God's only interested in what he has given you and what he has prepared you for and what he has outfitted you for. Much the same way a soldier is trained and equipped to carry out his calling as a soldier. Uh, when, when Brother Gary, uh, for instance, I know he's old enough, and um, I'm not sure if any, any other person in here, Lou, of course, uh, you guys were old enough to, to know that you either joined or you got drafted, right? So it was an invitation, all right. You had an invitation to avoid getting in, in, in the wrong type of branch of service that you didn't want to be in by joining. So uh, many young men in those days avoided uh, branches of service that might put them in harm's way by, by enlisting. But the, the military wasn't interested in what you could do. I mean, they might ask you, what, what are you good at? I remember when I was in boot camp, they, they gave us what, the, what was called a dream sheet. And on that dream sheet, you got to pick which base you'd like to, to go. Where you'd like, if you want to go on the East Coast or the West Coast, if you want to be in Hawaii, if you want to go to Europe, you know, you just take, make your selections. And I'm sure that's the last time that sheet was ever looked at because they put you where they wanted you to be. Um, so they're not, they weren't so interested in what you could do. They were only interested in what they wanted you to do, right? And so when you went to boot camp, you learned everything you needed to know to be able to do what they wanted you to do. So we need to, we need to step back and live our lives uh, under the direction and guidance of God because he has things he wants you to do. In my wildest imagination, and if you would have known me 33 years ago, I never even once imagined I would be doing what I do today. And quite frankly, most people who know me well um, back home would agree. But this is what the Lord has called me to do. And therefore, he has things that he's called you to do. And we must, we must prepare ourselves to serve him. Now, I want you to notice that Paul refers in, in verse numbers, verses number uh, 2 and 3, he refers to the particular aspects of this walk as a believer. Um, first of all, look, look at uh, verse number two. He, he says, with all lowliness and meekness. So here I, I, I believe Paul is telling us that this walk that we will, will, will go through as a believer needs to be a walk with humility and submission. We need to learn to live our lives in humility and in submission. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, Peter writes, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. 
So here we see Peter admonishes us to be submissive to one another, to submit to those around you, and to be humble before all men. Have you ever heard the old saying, every man is my teacher? How many of you ever heard that old saying, every man is my teacher? Well, probably uh, you younger people may not have heard that saying because that's not the philosophy anymore. I believe this is true. Now, some, some men will teach good things and others will teach poor things. But every man has something to teach. In Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 20, Solomon writes, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Yeah, as I said, some men can teach you good habits. Some men can give you good counsel, good, good knowledge. Others will bring you down. They have nothing but bad things to teach. And as, as Solomon said, a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Listen, you better watch out who you associate with. You better be careful who you give ear to. Now, I realize in a, in a, in a society where we have to work, we, sometimes we are put into position where we have to work amongst people who would not be a wise counselor. So what you do is you... you, you do what you have to do to get along with them, and you do your job, and, and other than that, you just ignore them. Don't, don't take in their, their poor counsel. This humble and submissive walk that, that we have been called to will appeal to those around us. And it will witness to those around you that you are different than the others they know. Now, certainly, this is not to replace our witness of the gospel, but it does demonstrate that peculiar. If you remember last week when we talked about uh, peculiar people, what did, what did I say? There were two adjectives for that: strikingly different and remarkable. We're to be a we're to be a we're to be a people uh, that are strike, strikingly different from the world. I mean, all someone needs to do is look at us and say, hey, there's something different about that person. And, and to be a peculiar people means to be a remarkable people, to, to do things that don't seem logical for people to do in, in, a, in a good sense. Now, certainly, this is, as I said, it's not to replace our witness of the gospel, but it does demonstrate that peculiarity that God desires his people to have. So we walk with humility and submission but secondly, he admonishes us to walk with patience and kindness. If you look back at uh, Ephesians 4, verse 2, it says, With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. We're to, we're to live our lives with patience and kindness. In Ephesians chapter 4, later in that same chapter, Paul writes this, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. I was at home today and my two grandsons were there. And have you ever noticed, those of you who have raised children, how they don't have much patience? You ever notice that? Children don't have an awful lot of patience. Uh, little Noah decided he was hungry. And he didn't care that his, his sitter, Erica, was dealing with Corey Jr. He, he didn't care about that. He let us know in no uncertain terms that he wanted to eat. And he wanted to eat 
now. Not in five minutes, not in two minutes, not even in one minute. He wanted to eat right now. And uh, no patience, no patience at all. And that's kind of how people are, aren't they? They want what they want, when they want it, and they they just don't care if something else has to happen. We live in an instant world today. High-speed Internet. huh? We used to have a computer in that office. I would come in in the morning, I'd turn it on, I'd go into the kitchen, I'd brew coffee, and I, I'd have had time to read the morning paper, cook breakfast, and go in, and it would still be grinding at the wheel. It had a whopping 35 megahertz processor. Yeah. Snail could get out of the room before it would boot up. High-speed Internet. We, we have a world with bullet trains. I'm not sure I'd want to write anything that has the word bullet in it. I'm, I just don't know. Bullet trains, supersonic transport. You can leave Los Angeles and be in New York in an hour and a few minutes. Microwave ovens. I do like microwave ovens. So they, I can warm my coffee up when it gets cold. But we live in an instant world. And all this speed has caused us to become very impatient. And this impatience has crept into every aspect of our life. And further, this impatience has caused us to treat people with animosity. Now just think about yourself for a moment. How patient is God with us? Hmm? Think about that. How many, how many times do you think in your life you frustrated God? So, given this, how patient should we be with each other? How is your patience tonight? What about, what about kindness? We, we're so short with people, and I'm as guilty of this as anyone else. We get so preoccupied with our circumstances, and we're so, we're so task-oriented that we've got to get this done, and we've got to get it done now. And so we, we, we treat people unkindly. Who, and we, they don't even deserve to be treated that way, but we do, don't we? And what does that do to your testimony? What does that do to your outward walk? If on the job you're flippant with people, you're short with people, you, you're, 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 you're cruel and hurtful to people, we're to walk with patience and kindness. You know what I've learned as the older I get? I learned that a problem can wait until tomorrow. It's still going to be there. It's, it's not going to get away from you. you. You don't have to worry, oh, this problem is going to get away and I'm not going to be able to solve it. Uh, no, it'll wait for you. It'll still be there. We just need to learn to, to, to live. When we, when we walk outwardly with humility and when we walk outwardly with submission... And when we live our life with patience to those around us, and when we live our life with kindness to those around us, we, live that, we become that peculiar person. Because that's not normal. That's not the way people normally behave. So this is an evidence. It's an outward evidence to those around us that there's something different about that person. This person has, has confidence. This person has, has compassion. 
We should walk with patience and kindness. And then thirdly, uh, Paul tells us, in, or Peter tells us, I'm sorry, in, in our walk, uh, that we're to walk with peace and understanding. In Ephesians, no, it was Paul, I'm sorry. In, in Ephesians chapter 3, we read, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So these are these attributes to that to that. Um, walking worthy of the vocation which we're called. We're, we're, to, we're to walk with peace and understanding. In Romans chapter 12, verses 16 through 18, Paul writes, Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men now i know the scripture admonishes us to contend for the faith however i don't think the intent of that verse is to have us go around like like bullies and encouraging confrontation i've i've known some of the meanest people and they 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 do it in the name of contending for the faith well i personally believe that there is a way to contend for the faith without being contentious Uh, What kind of witness does our life give if we are quarrelsome and contentious in our dealings with those around us? Show me one instance other than the time Jesus fashioned a whip and drove the money changers out of the temple, which was blasphemy. They were blaspheming the temple of God, and they deserved to be beaten out with whips. Other than that one instance, show me one place in the scripture where Jesus dealt with with people in a contentious way. And you won't find it. Because there, Jesus doesn't want us to go around being quarrelsome, being, being, uh, being people who stir up contention and, and trouble. He wants us to possess peace and understanding when we deal with one another and when we deal with those outside the church family. We are to walk worthy of the summons by God to be a witness unto him living with humility and submission, living with patience and kindness, living with peace and understanding. This is an outward evidence to others around us that there is something peculiar about that person, that there is something different. They have a different life, a different walk than those around us. Now, the second witness I want to discuss concerning our outward walk and I'll be brief on this, is is a witness of our wisdom. A witness of our wisdom. I'd like you to turn with me. We're in James. Let's go to chapter 3. James chapter 3. And let's begin reading at verse 13. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. So here James is saying, you know, if you're endued with wisdom, if you possess wisdom, then, then you should live your life in a good manner, in good conversation, and, and portray your works with meekness, not proudly. Verse 14, but if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not. And lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. 
For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. So we see here the world's wisdom seeks to satisfy the sensual side of man. The, the wisdom of this world is founded in darkness and is the wisdom of the, of the devil. It produces envy and strife. It breeds confusion in the hearts and minds of men. It is the root of every evil work in this world. However, the outward evidence given to every child of God is in stark comparison to the wisdom of this world, to the wisdom of natural men. Look at James' description of godly wisdom we find here uh, in verse, beginning in verse 17. James says, but the, the wisdom that is from above is first pure. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 2, and four, 2 through 4 tells us, To know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment, and equity, to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. Now Solomon here has just described the, the intention of godly wisdom. He said, he said all these things about it. God's wisdom has no hidden agenda. It seeks to instruct the child of God. The wisdom of God is pure in its intent and its purpose. He said it's to give subtlety, to give instruction, uh, to give judgment and equity, to give knowledge and discretion. So God's wisdom is, is a pure wisdom. It has no hidden agenda, and it has a pure intent and a pure purpose. But secondly, um, James said in verse 17, um, then peaceable. It is first pure, then peaceable. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 12, Solomon writes, He that is void of wisdom despiseth his neighbor, but a man of understanding holdeth his peace. God's wisdom Listen to me, God's wisdom will always promote and will always impart peaceful actions in every instance of our life. Remember, the, the, the devilish wisdom is quarrelsome. It's, it's, it it's, uh, creates chaos. It creates conflict. But God's wisdom is peaceable. It always promotes and imparts peaceful actions in our life. Well, then he says, uh, after, after peaceable, he says, it's gentle and easy to be entreated. And this, this talks about its attainability. It is attainable. In James chapter 1 and verse 5, we read, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. Now, this word, easy to be entreated, this, what this refers to, it's easy to obtain. It's easy, it's, it's acceptable, it's, it's, it's pleasant, it's, it's, it's easy to, to, to agree with. And James tells us, if all you have to do, all you have to do to have godly wisdom is ask for it. God won't withhold it from you. He'll give it, he'll give it to anyone. It's never farther away than a simple prayer. But then we read, uh, full of mercy and good fruits. This denotes that the wisdom of God is pleasant. Proverbs 3.17, Solomon states, 
Her ways, and her ways here, he's talking about wisdom. Her ways are always, are, are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. God's wisdom is, is always pleasant. Now, one must understand here that God defines pleasantness different than we may define pleasantness. In Psalm 116 and verse 15, we read, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Now, we might not consider things such as Joseph's slavery or Israel's bondage in Egypt or Moses' wilderness wanderings or Daniel's trip to the lion's den or the Hebrew children cast into the fire furnace. We may not consider those to be precious. We not consider those to be pleasant. However, sometimes the wisdom of God will lead us into situations similar to these. And in these times, we must not think that God has forsaken us. In fact, in times like these, we are to rejoice and trust in the Lord. David gladly, or Daniel willingly went to the lion's den because that was the result of his obedience to his heavenly father. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego gladly went to the fiery furnace. Well, maybe not gladly, but they willingly went to the fiery furnace because it was the result of their obedience to God. And as, as uh, Peter and, and James and John stated, after leaving the, uh, the council of, of, of the Pharisees, we ought to obey who? Anybody know their Bible? We ought to obey God rather than men. And I'm not, I'm not promising you a rose garden here. You may face a lot of trouble and trials in life. But if it's in obedience to God, then, then, then gladly and cheerfully uh, receive them. And that's what these men were. So we, we see here, we're up to the last point um, concerning our, our wisdom. And we see the fifth uh, attribute that, that James describes for us. Um, I've lost my place. Give me a second. Here it is. Uh, He says that wisdom is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle and easy to be entreated, which means it's attainable. It's full of mercy and good fruits, which means it's pleasant. And then we read without partiality and without hypocrisy. And this denotes to me that God's wisdom is equitable. It's equitable. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 33, But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely, and shall be quiet from fear of evil. Now again, notice that Solomon didn't say you'll be, you'll be um, quiet from evil. No, he didn't say that at all. He said you'll be quiet from fear of evil. Jesus told us in scriptures, Fear not he that hath power over the body, but no power over the soul. Yea, rather, I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who hath power over both body and soul to cast into hell. Listen, when we possess God's wisdom, and when we live in God's wisdom, we don't fear evil. There's nothing, there's nothing this world can do to us to hurt us. They, the only thing they can do is kill our body. They can't do anything else. They can't touch my soul. And so I don't need to fear evil. And that's what, that's what um, James is telling us here. 
And Solomon's telling us in Scripture that we'll be quiet from the fear of evil. God gives his wisdom to all his children. He will not hold it, withhold it from us. It is not a product of behavior. Unlike other blessings of God, God gives wisdom to all men liberally and abradeth not. He gives wisdom to his children without regards to their behavior. That doesn't give us a license, of course, to go out and do whatever we want to do. But we have the confidence to know that God's wisdom is equitable. It's, it's, It's liberally given to all who ask for it. Now, there are other, of course, other outward evidences that we could discuss, and perhaps maybe uh, in future opportunities we can examine them. But, unfortunately, we're out of time tonight. Now, these evidences, these outward evidences uh, and inward evidences that I've discussed over the last two weeks will serve not only to give us assurance of our positional status in Christ, but they will also serve to identify you as a child of God to those around you. I'll leave you tonight with a passage of scripture. Let's turn to Second Peter. Second Peter, just two books over, chapter one. And we'll read verses two through eight. Beginning at verse 2, we read, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what we've just read is God's growth plan for his children. God does not want you to be ignorant of the truth of who you are. You are a child of God. Don't allow yourself to become identified by what you do. But live a life that's worthy of the summons that you've received from the Lord. He has called you to represent him in this world. Listen, if God wasn't if that's not our purpose then God would have would have raptured us the moment we were saved. He would have taken us out of this world and set our feet upon our eternal reward. But that's not his purpose. His purpose is that we suffer a while on this earth, that we live our lives in a peculiar way, in a strikingly different way, and that we draw the attention of Christ to to the hearts of men, that men look at us and inquire as to our Uh, why we do what we do, and that gives us opportunity to witness for the glory of Christ. That's why we're here. 
So follow this plan of God. Follow this growth chart. And rejoice in the knowledge of Christ and live your life to glorify him. You won't regret it. I can promise you, you won't regret it. I know this world is alluring. I know it's tempting, especially for younger families. I know, I know there's so much out there. That, you know, there's so much available today. I think, I think it's almost too much. There's, we have too much available to us. Too much on the internet. Too much on television. We've lost touch with God. And it's time that we turn off the TV. It's time that we shut down the internet. And it's time that we open the word of God. This is life. This is where we'll find how to glorify God and how to please him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the very distinct marks of believers. We thank you for the evidences you've given us inwardly that we have the evidence of the, of the new creature. We have the evidence of the Holy Spirit. and We have the witness of the word of God. I thank you for the outward evidences that you've given us, the, the peculiar walk that you've, you've called us unto. And Lord, I, I thank you for the wisdom that you give us to live our lives in the way that you would have us to live. But, Father, all of this, all of this knowledge is, is worthless. It's useless unless we act upon it. So I pray you'd work in the heart of every person here tonight. I pray that we would not be satisfied to just know that we're a child of God. I pray that we would hunger for truth and righteousness, that we would hunger to live our lives in such a way that you are glorified by all that we say and all that we do. And, Father, we know we're going to stumble and we know we're going to fail. But we also know, Lord, that you are always there to catch us and you're there to instruct us. So we ask that you would bless us and that you would use us to your glory and that all that we do would glorify you. Thank you for this time we've had together. I pray you bless the preaching and teaching of your word. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.